0: I don't know how many of you have experienced naming somebody. I have named four people. They all happen to be my kids and one dog. Now the dog is actually pretty easy because the strategy there is you just pick your favor- or the main character from the greatest comedy ever made and you're good to go. So Fletch currently lives in California with my brother. But people can be a little more stressful. I mean, this is not something you want to mess up, is it? They're stuck with this for their whole life. And in important ways, uh, your name is who you are. It's your identity. You carry it with you through uh, your life and into the world. I was only 25 years old when Janet and I learned that we were expecting for the first time, and I was tasked with naming my first son. Now, there's not a lot of accumulated life wisdom yet in the mind of a 25-year-old. So I did the only thing that made sense to me at the time, and that was I appealed to the wider wisdom of all my college buddies, okay? So I said, hey, college buddies, none of whom are married or have kids, uh, what should I name my firstborn son? And they did the only thing that made sense to them, and that is they created a 64-name bracket in the style of a March Madness tournament, and consisting of four regions that include traditional names, ethnic names, trendy names, and wildcard names. And over the course of our pregnancy, they previewed and debated and voted on the name of my son. And finally, the final four emerged. The final four names, my very wise friends suggest that I name my child. Archimedes Medema, Bort Medema, Medema (laughs) Medema, and then the baby formerly known as Fetus, (laughs) Medema. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, I really appreciate it. So with all of this collected wisdom to back me up, I no longer moved into the world in fear. I no longer had to make this decision alone. They had spoken, and so I did the only thing I could do, and I named my son Hudson Midema. Every family does it a little bit differently. There's no right, no wrong way to name your kids. Uh, But for Janet and I, we wanted to build in some of our hopes and some of our prayers for our kids into their name. So Hudson Taylor was a great missionary to China, and he had a deep well of faith in God. He took great risks for the kingdom. Whether our Hudson grows up to be a missionary or not is not the point. The point is we hope his life reflects some of these qualities of his name. Faith in God, boldness for the gospel, a love for the lost. So kids, sometime soon, maybe on the way home tonight, ask your parents why you have the name that you have, and ask them if you are almost accidentally named Archimedes also. The passage we just heard read a moment ago from Isaiah 9 is actually the very same thing that I tasked my college buddies with, sort of. Uh, it's a naming ceremony. It's a birth announcement. 700 years before Jesus was born into our world, his dad announced his name for us to know. See, the heavenly father was naming his son according to the intentions and the hopes that he would have for his life. This is who God intends Jesus to be when he's born into our world. We read in verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be on his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, And Prince of Peace. I want to look at these four names for just a few minutes tonight. I want us to consider these four expectations, these four purposes for which Jesus was born into the world. It's the final four, if you will, of Jesus' names. So, first, Jesus is a wonderful counselor. I don't know how many of you have been to counseling. Uh, I have. I would highly recommend it to anybody and everybody. Uh, whether you think you have enough, enough issues to go see a therapist, you do. Uh, I do. So I'd highly recommend it. It's really helpful. Counselors, they bring wisdom. They bring insight. They help us navigate our world. Counselors help make sense of our emotions and our fears and our hopes. They offer wisdom and guidance for our decisions. Counselors al- also bring healing. They tie things together that have come apart. They make connections. They help us tell a story that makes sense of our life story. Why is Jesus the wonderful counselor? Because he's just like us. He's fully human. Uh, He's experienced all the same emotions, the same fears, the same hopes, the same difficulties that you and I have experienced in this world. The only difference is he did it perfectly the first time. Hebrews 4 tells us, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus' counsel is perfect because he made the world and he knows how it works and because he lived it. He lived in this this broken world, experiencing everything it could throw at him, and he knows what it's like. The things we can't hold together, he can and he does. The things that we don't understand about the world, he does. The story of our life that we're trying to make sense of, he makes sense of it. The greatest human to ever live is not just sharing book knowledge with us from an ivory tower in the sky. He's sharing street knowledge. I mean, he lived here and did everything and did it the right way, and his counsel is wonderful. He's the complete human man. He's also the complete and mighty God. Jesus is God himself. He embodies all the characteristics and power of God. He's sovereign over history. He's holy. He's good. He's eternal. He's lived forever and will continue to live forever. And what's so fascinating about this birth announcement is that when you take these first two names and hold them up together, Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God, it's actually the combination of these names that makes Christianity possible at all. What do I mean? The Bible says our main problem, you and me, is that we're disconnected from God. Uh, This is what we heard in Genesis 3 at the very beginning of our readings. We think our main problem are health issues, family tensions, frustrations at work or school, uh, finances maybe. Those are real. They're not to be minimized. But the Bible says the problem behind all problems is that we've become disconnected from God, who's the very source of life. And what happened on Christmas morning when God himself became a man, when God put on humanity and fused these two things together, was the only thing that could have happened to fix our greatest problem. See, Jesus can save us because he's God. He came from outside of our world into our world with great power and love to save us. But Jesus can save us because he's one of us. He's fully human. He's lived everything we've lived. If he's not the mighty God, he can't reach down from heaven. If he's not the wonderful and complete man, the wonderful counselor, he can't pull us back up with him from earth. Jesus is the only hero possible in our story who can bridge the gap between us and God because he's both the wonderful counselor and the mighty God. It's quite a name, but his father doesn't stop there. He goes on to give him two more names. Everlasting Father. In the ancient world, kings saw themselves as fathers over a nation. Here we read Jesus is our Everlasting Father, and he reigns as king over you and your life. He's king over your decisions. He's king over your time. He's king over your job and your play and your kids and your family. Jesus owns it all but he doesn't own it like a tyrant owns it. He owns it like a dad, like a really good dad takes care of his family. What do dads do? Dads protect their kids. Dads nurture their kids. They don't coddle them. They they prepare them to send them into the world with a mission to spread the love and the goodness of what their family's about. Just a quick word on this so we don't get the wrong idea the way dads protect and nurture their kids, two kids can sometimes feel like the opposite of that, okay? For example, it's Christmas, right? Your kids, if you're a parent, came to you with a Christmas list of sorts. If I, as a dad, were to buy everything on the Christmas list that I was presented this year, not only would our family go bankrupt, but there'd be no room in the house for you know, things they need like beds or food. Um, so I get to exercise this little muscle called the no muscle, right? As a dad, I get to kind of flex that quite often. Sometimes I say yes, but pretty often I say no. And I do this not because I don't love them, but because I love them very, very much, right? We don't need to train ourselves in more consumption. The world does that for us. We need to train our family in gratefulness and contentment, um, but when you're on the receiving end of a no, it doesn't always feel like love, does it? It doesn't always feel like nurture and protection. Now, are we perfect as this as parents? <laughs> no, not even close. But you know who is perfect at this as a parent? Your everlasting father, Jesus. And so the things that feel like no's in your life, the feel, things that feel like great disappointments, failure, loss, maybe a dream dying, it could be your everlasting father, King Jesus, protecting you, nourishing you, even loving you. You see, with Christianity, with Jesus as our king, all our successes, as well as all of our failures and disappointments, can be reinterpreted as gifts from a loving God. That's the power of Jesus' name as our everlasting father. Finally, Jesus is our Prince of Peace. This is the name that's expanded on and explained the most in this passage. Verse 7 tells us what this means. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The Prince of Peace reigning over a government of justice and righteousness. This is global. I mean, this is cosmic, okay? This is Jesus coming to the world and not just saving individual people, but making the whole world right, like it was meant to be. Peace in the Bible isn't just not fighting, okay? It's shalom. It's full human flourishing. Everything working the way it's supposed to work. Everything working the way God designed it to work. And the promise here is that one day when Jesus returns, it will, right? Right? That line from Lord of the Rings that Tolkien says um, that all the sad things will come untrue is true. I mean, Jesus will come back and bring his peace, bring his shalom, and make everything in the world work like it's supposed to work. It turns out Christmas isn't just a historical fact that Jesus was born in obscurity on a certain day in a certain stable outside of a certain podunk town in the Roman Empire two thousand years ago. It's also it is a historical fact. But it's also a certain promise about what the future is going to be like as Jesus reigns. Jesus will come again. And when he does, it won't be like the first time. He'll come in great power as the prince who reigns over all things. And his government will be one of peace and righteousness and justice. He will complete everything he set in motion on his first visit. Well, how's that for a list of four names for your son? God the Father says, Jesus, you will be the world's savior, the God-man, reigning as king over all things, bringing wholeness and health to our broken world. That is a serious set of expectations. No pressure, buddy, right? Can you imagine if those were the final four names I handed down to my son? But unlike me and every other human parent, when Jesus' dad intends for him to do something, it's not a hope. It's not a prayer it's not a wish. It's a certainty. I mean, look at the very last line of our passage. Uh, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I and mean, these are not wishes, these are promises from the sovereign God in control of all things. This is what Christmas is about. This is a season to remember why Jesus came. It's also a season where we set our hopes and our expectations on what he will do again. He will finish what he started. The zeal of the Lord will do this. You can bank on it. So I do hope that you all have a wonderful Christmas with your family and your friends. But more than that, in this season, I hope God meets you in a way that he hasn't met you in a long time, maybe ever. I, I pray that the power of these promises, the power of Jesus' arrival in the world becomes real to our hearts, that, that it inspires us to take great delight in everything God has done. He is generous. He is good. He is gracious. And he is here. He is present with us in this world. And that's something to be celebrated. So let me close in prayer as the worship team comes back up. Heavenly Father, thank you for the names that you have given your son Jesus. Thank you for the promises that you've given us through him. Thank you that he is both man and God, that he came to save us. Thank you that he reigns with grace and love. And thank you that he will come and make everything right once again. Jesus, we pray that these truths sink into our hearts and our minds. We pray that we reflect them in our lives as a community. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.